the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Appreciate you coming on tonight, man. We're going to talk about commentators, hosts, and announcers of the new generation era. The first thing you say to me is basically the same thing that everybody says to me when I ask them to come on is they kind of tapped out during this era. They weren't really watching. And to me, that almost wipes the slate clean of what I want to talk about because I want to know why. Jared, you're a wrestling fan. You go back a long way. Why during this era did you kind of tap out of, uh, of pro wrestling? So I started watching wrestling probably after WrestleMania 2. I think one of the first memories I have, I don't know if it's the first thing I ever saw, but I used to, or uh, I was at my grandma's house. We slept over there, me and my brother. Maybe my parents were at a wedding or something. But um, I remember on her kitchen table, we had a black and white TV, and, and I watched Saturday night's main event, and it was the uh, Orndorff and Hogan match. And I think the that's cage match? I, yeah, yeah. That's my first show I ever watched. Oh, wow. How about that? I watched the month before. That's the first one I remember. But I, the first show I saw was the previous month. The first one I watched as it basically just aired was the Hogan Orndorff cage match. Look at that. Wow. Yeah, it was. Um, I don't know. I wish I knew that was the first thing I ever saw, but I can't even tell. My memory is not that good. So <laughs> uh, but I do remember watching. That's when I started watching. And then I next thing I know, my dad, a friend of his at work, he would get the pay-per-views, and I saw WrestleMania three, and then uh, I saw four and five at this guy's house. I think we saw a few Summer Slams in between, and uh, so that's when I started. Right, right around between WrestleMania two and three, huge fan. It was the, the most important thing to me when I was a kid, until about hmm, the uh, Sergeant Slaughter Hogan WrestleMania was that seven? Yeah. Seven. So that's ninety one. Yeah. So. I don't know if I saw that on a tape. Maybe my friend taped it and gave it to me, but that's right around the time I dipped out. You know, I was in like either seventh or eighth grade, and that's when, you know, girls come around, uh, sports are more competitive. So, you you know, you're spending more time doing that. Um, I discovered music and, and playing guitar and stuff like that. So, you know, wrestling just was gone. It wasn't like a slow fade out for me, it was just gone. Wow. I don't remember. I don't remember why I stopped. I don't remember seeing something and being like, oh, I'm done with this. You know, it just it just disappeared from my life, you know. And then I got back in uh, shortly after I heard that Hogan turned heel and was a bad guy. So, yeah, I, I would say I missed out from 91 to 90, late 96. Wow, that's a that's a pretty significant chunk of time because you're leaving one world and coming back when it's completely different. Yeah. Uh, so in that time space that you left open, have you gone back to watch shows? Have you caught up on things that you never saw before? Like what's been your take on looking back at that stuff you missed? So <clears throat> when I got back into it, um, 90, late 96, you know, when WWF started to put out those big, huge box sets of like every Royal Rumble, yep. every SummerSlam, every Mania, I would get those. And that's that was 
pretty much my first memory of watching those missing years was I would watch those pay-per-views. Okay. It's a good way to catch up. I mean, without a doubt, you know, we always talk about on the show, you know, the video stores, you know, the Coliseum videos being so like essential to being a fan at that point and seeing matches maybe you never saw before or watching the pay-per-views. Now, were you more of a big event guy or, you know, a television, a superstars? What, What was your like fancy when you wanted to watch a show that you missed? When I was a kid? Yeah. Um, we watched me and my brother watched, you know, what was the Saturday morning show? Was that superstars? Uh, superstars is one of the syndicated ones. Mania was on, uh, that was more during this era, but in the nineties, early nineties, it was really superstars on Saturday. Yeah. We watched this, the Saturday show and then every Friday or every Saturday night's main event. And then the, 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 the main event, which was on the Fridays, right. a, a rare show. But I remember getting the TV guide every week and I would look and I would pray I didn't know what Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live was. Like, <laughs> I just knew it was something I hated because it took the time slot of Saturday Night's main event. Um, you know, I didn't learn what it, what SNL was until much later. But um, I love Saturday Night's main event. That was like, if I knew that was coming that week, that was uh, going to be a good week for me. And then I watched. Somehow we'd watch every pay per view in that era. And then uh, my big show, actually, now I'm now that I think about it. Um, it was, it's primetime wrestling. Yes. My stepdad, uh, I think he, he came into our lives like in 87 and, uh, we, we never had cable me and my mom and my brother. We never had cable. He moved in, we got cable, right? So all of a sudden there's this thing called primetime wrestling. It's two hours on a Monday night on a school night. And I, I watched every episode of that probably from 80 late 87 until when I phased out. Okay. Great I, show. Loved, yeah. I loved Monsoon and, and yep. Heenan at the desk. Uh, it was the best show. I, you know, I've watched only a few of them on the network. I really should go back and watch them all. But to me, that was my favorite show. It's still, you know, it's still very good. It holds up those little interludes between the matches with them. I mean, they do a lot of stuff that now, you know, as somebody who's a little more smartened up to the business, you you hear stuff and you're like, oh, wow, man, I would I would have gone over my head in 1988 or 1989. Even if I was my age watching, I have no clue. Some of these inside jokes. But I always say with this show, to me, when the new generation started is when primetime wrestling ended because that formula of the taped matches with the, you know, the, the bumpers in between of, you know, by the time they went off, it was Vince and like Bobby Heenan and, you know, Mr. Perfect and Slick and Hillbilly Jim and like seven, eight guys in a room pitching to the show. So when I, I said, when that ends and Monday Night Raw starts, that's when the new generation kicks off looking back. And since you tapped out, when you see this new crop of guys, you know, the Bret Hart's, the Diesel's, the Shawn Michaels, the Undertaker started to move up. When do you think this era started? I would probably agree with you. You know, I, I didn't watch it then, so I don't really have a grasp on it. But um, your description is accurate. So I'll go with your call on that one. Yeah, it's been a great debate, you know, and everybody's kind of got a different answer. I really do think it's once Monday Night Raw gets kicked off. We've had people say that it's uh, when Bret Hart beats uh, Ric Flair in like late 92. We've had people say all the way when Hogan loses to Yokozuna in the summer of 93. It's just these little moments that kind of everybody thinks, all right, this is when it starts. And I bet you there's people out there that don't don't think it really even starts until like, you know, 94, 95, the diesel years. It's just it's an interesting uh, dynamic. So I gave you a list of announcers and I give you some YouTube links just to check it out. Maybe people you never heard of, maybe people you've seen before. Uh, last week on this show, I covered uh, Vince McMahon, 
Bobby Heenan, Mean Gene, and the Macho Man. So four biggies. Uh, I believe also Gorilla Monsoon I, I touched on as well. But four biggies uh, that, you know, th- I would say they're the most identifiable uh, names that go along with it. And the list I gave you, I gave you a little bit more of the off names. Are there some people on there you had no clue ever held a microphone for the WWF? <laughs> um, well, kind of. Yes and no. And there's one person on there who, when I saw your list, I didn't recognize. The name didn't jump out to me. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's see if you could put. Uh, t- why don't we just start with that one? Who would that be? <laughs> that was uh, Tamara or Tamara. Oh, Tamara Murphy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Tamara Murphy, if you watch the link I sent Mike Durbin, which I will be dropping uh, on the Twitter uh, drop of this episode because people have been requesting the links. Uh, there was a thing called live event news during this era, where it was essentially, you know, we used to call it the event center back in the eighties and nineties. You'd pitch to a Sean Mooney and he'd say tonight at the, uh, you know, the Richfield Coliseum, you're going to see Hulk Hogan taking on the big boss man. Well, they moved it into more of a news format in this era and every market had a different host for it, you know, just to kind of make it specific. So Tamra Murphy might not jump out to you, but you may know her under a different name. Yes, I clicked on the video. I clicked on the video, and this attractive blonde girl with this 1995 hairstyle with a lot of hairspray or gel, uh, but you know, a very beautiful blonde woman. Um, and it was Tammy Lynn Sitch, Sunny. I never knew she had this role or this name, yeah. And this was basically so she was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling with Chris Candido and got this opportunity to try out for WWF TV. And more than just a tryout, she got on air. Now, this did not last very long. And I think you could kind of see why in the clip that I gave you, Tamara Murphy is a little dry. She's a little rigid, but she's also very young at this point. So I don't think necessarily this was going to be a strong suit. Uh, And especially what we would see, you know, in terms of promos years down the road. But uh, quite the start. I'm glad that name popped out off the page. Yeah. So this was before Sunny, before she did anything in the ring or on camera. In this was yeah. This was basically so in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, she had had a, a role. She was playing, you know, the secondary to Chris Candido. But this was the opportunity that they thought, you know, Cornette thought that yeah, they'd want Candido, and of course, you know, they they wanted. Tamara Murphy or Tamara Murphy instead of, of yeah. Candido. Um, but what do you think about this live event news and them trying to do a news format? Cause you know what I'm talking about with the event centers. They, they were just cut and dry tonight. Akeem versus big John stud hacksaw, Jim Duggan versus Haku just cutting. They're telling you what's on the card. This one, they were trying to format it and to make it a little more special. You know, what did you think of the live event news segment? Oh, I liked it. It was different. Something I'm not used to. I thought she was, I thought she had potential. Like yeah. she was a little dry. You could tell she might've been a little bit nervous, but I thought that if she would have continued in this role, I think she really would have excelled at it. How yeah. long, how long did she do this for? Very briefly, short amount of time. I would even say as, as little as just a few weeks. And then you would fast forward to later in the, the following years when the body Donna's would debut. And oddly enough, the show live wire, which we did a whole episode on, uh, she becomes a big focal point of live wire, which was, you know, in, in essence, and I, I said on that show, you know, it's 25 years uh, too soon because it's basically the podcast now in, in television form where, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of going a little bit more behind the scenes. They're giving guys a, a, a bigger chance to kind of share their, their story on, on a different platform. But, yeah, the origins of, uh, of Sonny start with Tamara Murphy on a live event news bumper. That's what, about 45, 50 seconds? Yeah. 
she's wearing a very modest or kind of like a business, you know, kind of black outfit. It's very 90s. That's yeah. an, I mean, that's tough to say when it is 1994, when this is taking place. You know, it's very 90s. But the 90s style, I mean, to me, I hate to say growing up in the 90s. I mean, I still kind of like the 90s style. <laughs> yeah, it's better than now. <laughs> I mean, I guess now we could you could even use the 90s style because everybody goes retro yeah. um, with everything. But yeah, this is basically the presentation that they would go with. They would try to change the way the event center looked. Was that a way to draw people in more? Was it a way to make it a little bit uh, more enticing to fans? That wasn't the card uh, that stuck out with the live event news. There's another one. We'll just jump to this one quickly because the card to me, I mean, I, I was shocked by it. There's another announcer that I dropped in this little uh, list of names to you. His name was Charlie Min. Yes. H had you ever seen Charlie Min before? <laughs> Never have seen this man before, ever. Now, Charlie Min had a lot of energy. And that's the thing that you just popped off the page first thing. And again, it's the live event news format. But it's weird because he pitches to himself <laughs> in this in this little uh, promo, right? He pitches to himself and he's with a doctor and it's the heart attack tour. It's Bret Hart's, you know, name. It's uh, it's all built around him. But they run down the card at Madison Square Garden. And that's where I was like, holy crap. I mean, this card right now could main event any show uh, on a Monday, Wednesday, or whatever the hell SmackDown's on, Tuesday, Friday, I don't even know anymore. The, the card was unbelievable. You Bret Hart and the Anvil, the Undertaker and Yokozuna in a casket match, and this ball of energy, Charlie Min, giving you the rundown. Uh, what would you think of maybe the energy of Charlie Min versus Tamara Murphy? He definitely had, had energy. Now, where would we have seen him? Was he just in uh, certain regions, or was he on every in every state? Now, speaking as an East Coast person, I only remember Charlie Min from my markets and any of the stuff I've seen. Obviously, this is a Madison Square Garden uh, promo, so that's why I would have known him. I'm going to say he may have made it across to the other side. See, if you were watching this, we could have gotten your take on the uh, the Midwestern markets in the Chicago area. Because during those years, so did you have during the WWF years that you watched, was there any other names that would pop up outside of a Sean Mooney or a Lord Alfred Hayes or Craig DeGeorge? Was there anybody different you guys had? I don't remember at all. I'd have to go back and watch. Or actually, I couldn't watch it now. I doubt they'd have it anywhere. But no, 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 no one that I can re recall. That to me is one of the best parts of kind of researching this stuff is finding that stuff out. But I believe Charlie Min might have made it across. But again, he does not have a long run with this company as well. And I find it may it was a little I don't know. It was just a weird placement. He had a lot of energy, but he was very she was kind of short. He didn't really fit the typical WWF like announcer look. Um it didn't really work for me. And that sketch that they had with the doctor and the heart attack, I mean it was a little cheesy. It was a little corny. But uh I don't know if it really fit into what they were trying to go for. Whereas in the, t the Tamara Murphy, they went for straight news. They went for a straight rundown of the card. Yeah. Well, one thing I found interesting was, um, you know, Charlie Min is obviously an Asian man. Yes. Uh, have there been any other Asians in the uh, broadcasting? In not, the WWE? I mean, not in the WWE that I could think of off the top of my head that were not there to do subtitled commentary. I know uh, the late, great Yamaguchi son, uh, was a part of the, uh, the the broadcast team when they would do the WrestleMania rundown. I know Funaki uh, was also on that list, but nobody that they made as like an on-screen, you know, pitch to promo guy or event guy. Now, Charlie Min never left the uh, the little booth. He never went outside the production studio 
whereas some of these other people did, and we'll talk about them. But the, Charlie Min was a specific to inside of the uh, the Stanford production studio. Uh, <laughs> I think I could see why. I mean, it just it, it probably wouldn't have fit well. I can't see Charlie Min sitting next to Vince McMahon on a Monday Night Raw. <laughs> no. And that's nothing that, against the man. <laughs> yeah, you would think that, you know, this past year, everything's so inclusive and, and that kind of thing. You would think that they would reach out and have more diversity and have, you know, an Asian man or woman uh, in that kind of role. But they don't. Well, it's interesting because going back to Tamara Murphy, you know, in that era, Tamara Murphy, a.k.a. Sonny. And then they had a, another uh, uh, female announcer named Stephanie Wyand who would uh, win a contest to be an announcer and it was on WWF mania. I put her at the bottom of the list. I didn't even give her a link. Uh, she was basically the second to Todd Pettengill wasn't very good. So they were kind of ahead on having the female announcers, even in the mid nineties. And, you know, that was something that they wouldn't really have until later on with Renee young, you know, much, much later on, we're talking 20 years later. Um, and I guess, you know, you got to give them props for going for it in 95, but it just, it didn't work out. And with Charlie Min, yeah, you, you know, they're having an Asian guy as a, as a, uh, you know, as a hype man and it just didn't work. And it's, I, like I said, he was too high energy, but it didn't fit the model. Like he just, like I said, he was a little short guy. <laughs> yeah. You can't see him standing next to diesel doing a, uh, you know, uh, Hey, hey, D Diesel, tonight you're facing Shawn Michaels at the Nassau Coliseum. He'd be having to hold the microphone, you know, like up to God. It would be so high. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it was all about in the 90s. Uh, all right. Give me somebody else on that list that I uh, that I gave you. Well, you just said the the guy was too short and he would have put the microphone up high. I think that would have looked good. It would have made Diesel look even bigger. True. So the one that stood out to me, it was the exact opposite. You had Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect. Yes. Looking eye to eye. He may have even been a, a half an inch taller than Stone Cold. Now, that seemed weird to me where, you know, I'm used to my interviewers being smaller, you know, and he, here he is, Kurt Henning, looking uh, every bit as impressive, even though he's right. wearing a, a suit. You can still tell he's he's probably bigger than Steve Austin at this time, physically. Did he have, was it the blue suit with the white uh no a, it's kind of a beige okay the beige one. With a, yeah with a with a lighter beige t-shirt um dress shirt underneath so the tale of mr perfect in the new generation era he's a he's an in and out guy he's in there in the beginning half in 93 then he's gone then he's back in 94 for a cup of coffee then he's gone and then he comes back in 95 as an announcer and as a color commentator i think he's very good i think he's quite underrated and they didn't use him for that terribly long of a time on the big shows. He'd be on superstars like into 96. Um, but as a backstage announcer, and also he did in-ring promos as well. You're exactly right. He's standing basically eye to eye with each yeah. guy. And it kind of takes away from it. It's different than a Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler, the king, he's a little swarmy. He's yeah. a little, you know, he's an asshole. But Mr. Perfect, he still was Mr. Perfect. Yep. And he's like, what, what is he going to say to a, a guy like Steve Austin at that point? <laughs> yeah. But I thought Perfect was uh, good. I mean, his voice sounds great. He's really, everything he's saying is uh, making sense. He seems very comfortable in this role. Um, but yeah, it was just the size thing threw me off. 
So, so what do you think about the guys that they put into that position during that era? Because I talked about Macho Man last week, and obviously Mr. Perfect fits into that. You know, Vince took a lot of those guys that were his established stars and was kind of feeling like maybe they were kind of past their time and they would be better fitted for this announcer role. You know, and, and essentially we got robbed of some great Macho Man uh, epic matches i'm sure and then also same thing with mr perfect and then by the time they're going to bring him back he leaves so that vince mcmahon model you know what do you think about those guys being in the booth i don't like that big of a star being on commentary personally no and i never liked macho man's commentary i think the first time i heard it when i went back was when i watched wrestlemania 9 when i got the box set and i was like why why is macho man on commentary uh he's not good at it He's too in character and just the way he would pronounce words. He was, it was just too much for me. Yeah. I liked it. I don't know. Maybe it's just because of the time piece and maybe because, you know, I was such a a macho man Mark at the time. I really kind of liked anything that he did, but it it didn't make a lot of sense for a guy who was of his pedigree to just kind of be sitting there all the time. And if the baby face was in trouble, why wasn't the macho man hitting the ring at a hundred miles an hour trying to save, you know, the day that's where it kind of lost me. But the style, yeah, I can see how it's kind of off putting, especially if you miss the whole era and go back to watch it. Um, and Mr. Perfect's a little more dry than uh, Randy Savage. He was a more colorful one, but I just never liked that Vince would take these big established players that he could have popped into the roster and they could have had these, you know, epic feuds, epic, you know, long time, you know, memorable, uh, what do you, you know, um, associations. Yeah. But Mr. Perfect. So you didn't, you were, <laughs> you had no recollection of Mr. Perfect as an announcer. No, I I remember seeing him, you know, when he was like Ric Flair's assistant or whatever. Yes, title was like I I remember seeing that, but um, I don't remember him doing any kind of on camera interviewing stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was you know again it was from about November ninety five till when he leaves in October ninety six. Now when he shows up in WCW, you would have been watching. Yeah. At that point, and that was a big deal when he showed up. And that's oh, yeah. where he, he has the blue suit on when he comes down the aisle in WCW. But the whole buildup for Mr. Perfect coming back to the ring was through his days as an announcer. And it just it was just kind of it was kind of odd. And in the Steve Austin one that I sent you, you know, Steve Austin's on the rise. And yeah. not to say he makes Mr. Perfect look stupid because Mr. Perfect's kind of, you know, like you said, eye to eye with him. You don't want an announcer overshadowing the wrestler, and I feel like that's what he does in that exact promo. Yeah, definitely. But nonetheless, that was the WWF formula. And again, Jerry Lawler, I put into a separate bin just because he was yeah, he so was cool. a, yeah he was a, he was an asshole. He was a king who was you know from Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> I mean, like not many kings except for one from uh, from Memphis. Yep. Um. Uh. But just you know, I'm just trying to look down this list. Another guy. Here's one. You know, again, you missed him in this era as a as an announcer, but maybe you caught a tail end of him, Doc Hendricks. Oh, see now, I like this. I like him in this. Tell moment. me why. <laughs> I just love the voice. His voice is tremendous. Um, you know, I know he had to get a haircut. I've heard that story. How Vince made him get a haircut before they hired him. Um, his 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 mustache, you know, and really stands out. Um, He's always wearing something colorful and bright. Uh, you know, I just, I really like seeing Doc Hendricks. The thing I sent you was a slam jam. 
So that was, again, that kind of fills the role of the live event news of the event center has the old slam jam music in the background from WrestleMania, the album. And he's popping around like a, you know, (laughs) he's popping around like a guy with springs in his shoes, like from one side of the room to the other. But he's a guy who wore many hats. And this is one little sidebar we could take for an announcer. Okay, put your it doesn't have to be wrestling. It could be sports. It could be anything. Do you want them to stick to one job? Do you need somebody to be an interviewer and not a play by play guy or a pregame show host and not a, you know, uh, interview mid game person? Where do you kind of want people to be with their roles in in broadcasting? Uh, It doesn't matter to me. They can do whatever they want to do as long as they're good at it. Yeah, because yeah. because Doc Hendricks literally did everything. He did the live event news. He did in ring. He did ring announcing, but he also did color commentary work next to Vince McMahon and not a lot. And that's where I feel like they kind of lost a, a pretty decent chance at having another established heel in the broadcast booth next to uh, Vince McMahon. So I'm assuming then you've never seen King of the Ring 95. I've probably seen it once. OK, well, that's Doc Hendricks big uh show in the the color commentary uh seat and it's okay it's not michael hayes it's not the the promos of of the free birds it's it's a goofy whatever the hell this doc hendrick's character was supposed to be i don't even know <laughs> what would your guess be just like a slimy qvc pitch man you know like what would what would yeah. you think this was uh yeah exactly that a qvc pitch i mean he looks perfect with all the merchandise in the background um it, it looks like a QVC ad, you know, it's very vibrant, like, you know, the mid 90s were, you know, they did have a guy that would stand in the uh, the aisles and sell merchandise during that era, very much like a QVC pitch man. <laughs> you buy your WWF uh, denim jacket with, uh, you know, Undertaker's picture on it back if you wanted to. Mm. Couldn't do that with Doc Hendricks. Yeah. I just love this era. I love merchandise. Um even going back to the old WWF magazine, like around 87, 88. Yeah. I would just love to look at the, you know, the middle of the magazine was the probably four or five pages of merch. I remember looking in those and uh, we, I was never really able to get anything. Like my parents wouldn't buy me anything out of it, but the one shirt I did have, I went to one house show when I was a kid. Can you believe that? No, I do. I didn't go to one till 96. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about it. They went to so many when they were kids. Like I went yeah. to one and it was in 89 <laughs> and I got a, a Brutus, the barber beefcake t-shirt and he was my favorite when I was, wait, was it the white one with like the pink dude? That was my oh, first was the, shirt. The red, the red ringer. Oh, oh okay. I, was say, though, I had my first shirt was a Brutus shirt as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was, uh, I got the red ringer one and then it was him in front of the barber poles. It was, wow. a, it was the photo. It wasn't the drawing of him. It was. Uh, yes. Photo. Okay. Interesting. And I was like, I wore that shirt as much as I could. And, uh, on the house show, it was beefcake versus Valentine. Wow. Yeah. At the Rosemont horizon. Rosemont horizon. So that was your home. That would have been your home base, the Rosemont. Oh yeah. And what a great place it is, man. <laughs> Every wrestler pretty much says that that's the best place to wrestle. And that's one of, you know, maybe the garden, of course, would be number one. But uh, Rosemont Horizon, Allstate Arena, that's usually number two. Suburban Chicago is what yeah. they say. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right outside the airport. Have you ever been there? I have not. No, it's uh, it's one of those that I love the shows that come from the Rosemont. Yeah. I mean, they never had a bad event. It looked like it was basically run as the Madison Square Garden of the Midwest. And 
you know, you'd hear the stories of the guys. They'd go from wrestling on the East Coast to wrestling at the Rosemont, you know, within uh, a couple hours. And now it's always a, a venue that I would have loved to have seen these classic matches at. But so that was your home base. That's a damn good one. Yeah. Yeah. I've probably been to 20 different WWF shows in the in that arena. But you're you're spot on about the merchandise. And we've talked about that a lot. One thing this era lacked was merchandise. And was it because the guys like Hogan, the guys like Savage, you know, Piper, uh, Andre, Jake, the guys that were the marketable guys weren't there anymore. So the toy dealers went away. You know, they're not on lunch boxes anymore. They're not really on the mainstream stuff. Whereas Hogan was on sleeping bags and vitamins and toys and coloring books. You didn't see the Shawn Michaels coloring book in 1994. You know, you didn't see the Bret Hart uh, pillowcase it was, I, unless you did get it from the magazine. But that to me is the missing ingredient of this era is the merchandise. And for you to say that that was a big draw for you as a kid is exactly why this era was so under uh, underperforming in the fans eyes. Yeah. Even though I never had anything from the catalog, like I could even now I could visualize like Jake the Snake would be in the you know they had pictures of all the wrestlers right yes and they're all wearing their own shirts like Jake the Snake had a green shirt uh, I think George Animal Steel had one everyone had one yeah. you know even the heels had a shirt which back then I was like why would anyone want to buy a, a heels T-shirt you know bad guys <laughs> T-shirt but uh, I just remember everybody was was doing their pose like the Red Rooster had a T-shirt you know yes he did yeah so um, and then there was you know every maybe every quarter they revamped the catalog and they'd have different uh, items. Like you could buy the, the George, the animal steel doll, right. a little mine or whatever it was called. Yes. Uh, they'd have duffel bags. And uh, I remember when those jackets came in, those satin jackets, <laughs> my brother got the ultimate warrior jacket. Did I, he really? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I, I saw, I knew a guy that just got one at a flea market or a thrift store of the ultimate warrior like two years ago. And I was like, well, if this was 1989, <laughs> you'd be a baller. <laughs> Cause yeah. that, that was definitely, that wasn't, that was quite the pricey jacket back in the day. Yeah. I was jealous that he got that one, but you, that's yeah. one fruit punch staying away from a, uh, from a bad day. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It, was, it had the white sleeves. Yep. But yeah, it's all about the merchandise, man. Because even we talk about it, you know, with the uh, if you see Mike's shirt, which you won't, because this is a, an audio podcast. But the logo for his podcast is him in the shape of a Hasbro action figure. Yeah, and the Hasbro action figures, by the time the new generation is in full swing, a have been canceled and b are hitting the discount bins. So the the proposed, you know, fifth or last series that would have been more of this era's guys are basically they they never got made. And just looking at your shirt, that's a big deal for this because this is the only time in history where they did not have a toy line from about 1993, early 93 to just about 1996. And by the time the 96 toy line comes out, Diesel and Razor Ramon are, they're gonzo. They're, they're, they're dust. I wish that I had some of these figures, like just listening to Zach Ryder's, him and uh, Kurt Hawkins' podcast, like, I when I I don't listen to it anymore. I had to stop listening to it because it made me want to get into that collecting. Because <laughs> I I collect other toys like I collect He Man and yes. uh, Superpowers, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, DC Superpowers. Yeah, Mike, I did not know we had so much in common. Jeez, yeah, I got uh, I have every superpower except Cyborg. Wow. Yeah. So they're um, right there. They're right next to me over here. I'm pointing uh, to my right. Oh wow. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I, I love toys and I love collecting. Even though I'm 42, I still collect. Uh, but I never had these when I was a kid. But I fight the urge to get into it because I love the look of these things. Like, yeah. I, you know, even though they don't really move that well or do anything, but they just look cool. You know, I love it that um, there's like only a certain number of poses, you know, that that they have for, for all the guys. So they just look cool to me. And I, and I really you know, fight the urge to, to go back and collect. Cause it's very pricey. These oh, things are very, not cheap, not cheap at all. 10 years ago, you could have got in easy. You could have got in and had anything you wanted. And, you know, I, I've been a collector uh, of these things, you know, my whole entire life. And I've bought and sold basically the set three times over of everything. I don't think I, I might have a few now, but bought and sold the set many times over. I consider myself more of an LJN guy as it is. Uh, yeah. But again, bought and sold the whole set many, many times. Um, but this era lacking a toy line is a big deal. And the fact that you're saying, you, you know, you didn't have them growing up. It, it's, it's very interesting because I'm sure there's a group of kids that watch these and never had one figure to play with. Yeah. So it's uh it's, it was, it's a very, it's compelling time to be a fan. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you pick the next one. Give, give okay. me one. Give me one or two more names that we got here on this list. I'm going to save some for part three, but uh, give me another one off your list uh, that I got there in front of you. Yeah. So I have, I had heard Bruce Pritchard talk about this character on his show. I've never seen it though, until you sent me the link. It's nice. Rio Rogers. Yes. And it's basically him doing a dusty Rhodes impression, right? Yes. Rio's yeah. roundup hosted by Rio Rogers. Uh, which is basically Bruce Pritchard with a bad mustache and it's bad. That's just the, the, I would say my total synopsis is it's bad. Yeah. Um, this was a out and out complete parody and uh, burial of dusty Rhodes, who we know Bruce Pritchard, you know, had a great affinity for, cause he's documented that many, many times on his podcast. Yeah. Uh, but this character was just, it was not very good and it wasted valuable time. And I was looking at it. It took a job away from somebody. Yeah. Who could have been in that spot at 90, you know, that was 90 uh, or early 94. Who could have been there? Maybe that could have been poor Charlie Min. <laughs> yeah. And instead it's Rio Rogers. So, so seeing Rio Rogers for the first time, looking at that getup, what, what's your first thought? Well, the quality's not too good on the video, which is probably the best for us. You know, we don't have to look yeah. at that clearly, but it's just, I, I don't even know what he's wearing. Is it like a, is what kind of hat is that? It's basically, I, I don't, I don't believe it's a cowboy hat. It's some sort of like weird, like it's a small hat, right? It's like this weird, tiny looking thing. It was, dude, it was another one of these short term things who did, he did make it into a magazine though. They did do a profile on Rio Rogers, but the getup was just your, you know, your generic boots, you know, pants, uh, plaid shirt, and this just out and out dusty roads parody that just it goes on way too long like you're almost dying for the first guy to come out in the segment which is Shawn michaels because it's 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 so over the top <laughs> yeah and Shawn michaels is wearing just a regular black suit which is kind of rare for him i guess he yeah. doesn't stand out at all no no and rio rogers stands out more if i was just a casual viewer flipping through i would think rio rogers is, is the star you know, even though he looks like an idiot, but at least he stands out. Yeah, yeah. He had a little bit more of the getup. Shawn Michaels, well, that was serious, Shawn Michaels, because he was coming back from uh, from some stuff at that point, uh, at the end of 93 and uh, early 94. It looked like uh might have been curtains for the old uh, heartbreak shizzle there uh, 
in the WWF, but he made it back. That's why there was two Intercontinental Champions. <laughs> yeah, was that around the time he got he got jumped by the guy in the bar? No, no, no. That was '95. Oh. Okay. Uh, that was uh, fall of '95. This was uh, some allegations and some uh, some popping for uh, tests that. Uh, oh yeah. That took Shawn Michaels uh, out of the game and uh, seemingly almost ended his WWF career. But he was serious Shawn Michaels there. He came out in the suit. And you're exactly right. It's not even like a suit with like checkers or uh, stripes. This is about as black as a black suit's going to get. And building up the WrestleMania 10 uh, ladder match eventually. But this Rio Rogers character is just completely, completely over the top. And I've never been a fan of the Bruce Pritchard, Dusty Rhodes impression to begin with. So I can't really stomach it as it was, but it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I hate it now. I, I used to like his impression, but now when I hear it, I think of uh, Brother Martin, who does his impression of Bruce Pritchard doing the Dusty impression. So oh now just God. the whole thing is, is a catastrophe for me whenever yeah. I hear it. Sidebar on that. We'll just take a minute. Uh, we'll we'll dive into uh, a little bit of the get my go uh, uh, portion of the program right now. I meant to say that on the last episode is I cannot stand the little rap, the Dusty Rhodes rap. It's horrible. It's not good. And no. if I was in a Walmart where somebody was doing that, I would go up to <laughs> wherever the speaker was and take it out of his hands and hang up the phone right in front of his face. It is so freaking terrible. I actually would rather listen to the Bruce Pritchard's impression. Yeah. I don't know how he's allowed to do that in the Walmart, you know? Like, there's got, he says he's a manager, but it it's not possible. If you just look at the pictures he posts while he's at work, he's got this, uh, the, the, this hair. I don't know what, I'm not going to criticize anybody's hair, you know? <laughs> I, obviously, I can't do that, but I mean, this guy is so proud of it and, uh, he just looks like he looks like a, a homeless lion, you know, with this mane of scraggly, shitty hair. And then he's got his uh, Baltimore Ravens mask on his face. And he just looks like a, a bum off the street. And he's going to tell me that he's a manager. I don't think so, dude. Yeah, no, I can't. Uh, I can't see it. But the pro the, the little Dusty Rhodes promo, it's like, first of all, how cheesy, number one. And number two, he says the same thing over and over every time he does it. It's just it's so uncreative. Yeah. And and I hate to say it outside of maybe one random wrestling fan that's walking through <laughs> a Walmart at, you know, 10 o'clock at night when they're closing. People must think he's like special if they hear that. They're like, what the, they let. So they let the special kid. <laughs> Do the announcements for the evening. <laughs> it was Make-A-Wish Day at Walmart, and they let the special kid do the announcement. Yeah, he's he's told me on other occasions where um, he said that he's been shouted out in the store. Like He said someone shouted out Russo's brand to him once. I'm like, okay, you're not really associated with the brand, so why are you making that up? He makes up a lot of shit. He makes up a lot of stories about you know stuff that happens and whether it's good or bad. But uh, And then he said another time someone yelled at him in the store. Uh, called him Brother Martin and like started yelling obscenities at him. Like, dude, you're obviously making that up, you know. <laughs> and you he made it. up. You made up that you're Andrew Test Martin. That's cousin. the best. <laughs> <laughs> that one I love. That to me is the funniest thing. Cousin Andrew. <laughs> yeah, cousin Andrew. And he's like, he he told he said something on one of his shows once, and then he told me on the phone one night. He's like, he's like, yeah, my my friend or my cousin Andrew. He told me that. His favorite match was uh, this match in 2003 against you know Triple H, and it's like something that I think I heard on a Bruce Pritchard episode that where they said that that was a good match, you know, test best match, 
And I'm like, one time I tweeted at him when he he tweeted about cousin Andrew about the drug problems. And I said, I go, Hey, do you have any uh, pictures of you and cousin Andrew? You know, <laughs> you have anything like <laughs> Christmas, 1992, anything, man, you backstage at a show, anything. If, if my cousin's a wrestler, I'm going to be backstage. I'm going to have uh, access. And of course, yes, you're going to, you're, you're my cousin. You're bringing me backstage. You're going to introduce me to everybody, but there's no pictures. Again, there's no proof of anything with this guy, you know? So it's another lie. What about if he picked Martin Lawrence instead of uh, Andrew Martin? As he's yeah. telling everybody that his, uh, his cousin was Cousin Martin, but it was really Martin Lawrence. He got it backwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, I when I was a kid, like maybe six or seven, I was really into the Batman 1966 TV show, right? And my favorite character was Robin. I loved Robin. Like, I wanted to be Robin. Now, my mother's maiden name is Ward. So I would tell people like, oh, we're related to Burt Ward on my mom's side. Like I'm Burt Ward's like third cousin or something. Now I did that when I was six. Yeah. This is a grown man doing that in his, uh, he, I think he might be 32 right now, but he's saying that he's, <laughs> that's, that's he's only 32. He's 10 years. Young. He's exactly 10 years younger than me. I think. Are you Wow. Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> did not know that it was, was not aware of that. Uh, but Hey, I'll tell you something. I believe in like the sixth or seventh grade, we did have one of my friend's moms convinced that Bam Bam Bigelow was my uncle, uh, out of no reason other than to just pop ourselves and just make ourselves laugh. So it's believable. We're all from Jersey, right? Yeah. But we, we, we ended it. We didn't continue it. I don't go on the shows and say, hey, uh, Triple Threat Podcast. Hey, Shane, did you know that Bam Bam Bigelow was my uncle? Now, we never met before uh, 2016, but don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Brother Martin, let's end it with Brother Love, the alter ego of Rio Rogers. Were you even remotely aware, outside of maybe listening to a Pritchard podcast, that Brother Love returned at the end of 1995? Uh, I think I heard about it on the podcast. Yeah, I didn't know that. And then I, you know, Francine, of course, told me the story when I was on you guys' show. Correct. Uh, that she was going to be there. Maybe she was in talks to be brought back as sister love, right? Sister love. So yeah, what she explains is that they were after her to play that sister love role to brother love, and it would have been. She wasn't sure on the exact time frame, but. She said it was while she was with the Pitbulls, which, which falls in line with the 95 time frame. But the brother love return, very, very short-lived. And I'm talking, this is, I believe they announce him randomly. on a, It's a taped edition of Raw. They announced that Bruce Pritchard, or the brother love, is coming back the following week to interview Bret Hart. He's on a couple tape shows, and he's gone. It's gone. I always wonder why, and I don't... No offense. I don't listen to the Pritchard podcast. I've never listened to any of them. I, I wonder why it was so short lived because it didn't fit in the new generation era. It did fit in those Federation years. And I guess maybe that's what they saw. It just didn't work this time around. Yeah. Now I must admit when I was a kid, I loved brother love. Like that was my favorite character. Oh, I hate it. Brother. Love. <laughs> Brutus was my favorite wrestler, but uh, brother love, like I just love that character. Uh, I went to a Catholic school in, in grade school, right? So anytime, like if we were in the church or we had a, a gym that doubled as the church, like we would take the chairs out and stuff and it would convert into a church. Anytime that there was a podium with a microphone, I would <laughs> run up to it 
and I would I knew how to turn it on. Like I learned how to turn the, the PA on and I would run in the other room, turn the PA on. Then I'd run to the microphone, turn that on. And I would do like brother love promos. Like I, and I had them all memorized back then. Like I could do an entire promo at like age nine. Right. That's great. I loved brother. And you know, the, the teachers or whoever happened to catch me doing it and tell me to stop. Like they probably thought it was, I was just doing like a religious gimmick. Right. Nobody knew it was brother love, but I love Brother Love so much. I even found a video, uh, an old VHS, and I converted it. And when I met Bruce Pritchard, I met him at um, he does he did like a uh, a meet and greet where you you would like ten guys go and eat with him or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was about four years ago, w- way before I was even on the brand or anything. Right. Like that. Um. So I yeah I went and, and uh, I showed him the video and he loved it, man. He like he really appreciated. It. He wasn't just bullshitting like he 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 was touched by you could tell now that's awesome yeah i uh the brother love character i mean as a mark i hated it because you know i was a hogan guy so i hate and same thing with the barber i hated that that whole feud the macho king and zeus (laughs) with uh against hogan and beefcake i hated brother love because he was uh such a dick to uh hogan and brudai but um that is uh that's something else i'll tell you one thing In, in 2016 i brought brutus into one of the conventions in new jersey and uh, uh, JP, good old partner there, John Paz, uh, and our other buddy who was also working with us at that show, ha- picked up Brutus at the airport. They they had to stop him and pick up the shears because you couldn't bring the shears on the airplane. You know, I wondered that. I'm like, when when I saw him at Starcast, I was yeah. like, how did you get this striped, you know, hedge clippers here? But so go ahead. So he they get the shears right. What do they do? Did he ship them here? Uh, no, no. They bought the shears at, at like a garden place, you know. So he gets to the venue. He's got the tape, and all of a sudden, the, the room was just the vendors bringing their stuff in, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at him like starry eyed. And this is me completely. I don't get starstruck. I've worked with Howard Stern. I've worked with you know the WWE offices. I've been all over the map with every superstar you can imagine. And I'm staring starry-eyed at Brutus Beefcake as he's taping up wow. the shears. And I said to him, I go, you know, people would pay a lot of money for you just to tape this in front of them. Yeah. It was such an awesome experience. And he did it so perfectly to even pop it at the end. And there was the stripes. And it blew my mind. <laughs> they yeah. absolutely killed me. Does he sell them like at the end of the at the end of the meeting degree? Does he sell those? He could probably get a, some good, you know some good money on probably but they you know everybody involved knew the uh the the big fan that i was so i have the shears i did not get them signed for one reason and this is a good ploy by brother brudai is if we ever work together again i already have the shears and there you go so ah. they will stay on un- unautographed until uh the next time we uh, we meet again but because i'm also a huge tape mark i got signed a big coliseum video you know print out of the uh tape because got to got to bring it back to uh to the coliseums but just to close it out with bruce pritchard brother love if you want to go back i'm going to drop that link in the the twitter description as well see why brother love didn't last very long in 95 96 it just didn't have that same appeal nothing against the people he was paired with at the time it just was missing the flavor of a piper or a warrior or a hogan and i just feel like brother love was kind of hung out to dry but brother love eons better than Rio Rogers. We could we could settle on that, right? <laughs> yeah. And one thing I noticed when I was watching this, it's been a while since I've seen a, a Bruce Pr- or a, a Brother Love segment. Um, one thing I remember as I was watching it, I loved when he would ask them a question, 
And then he would just dip away. He would walk away right when they're going to answer. And, and you could see Bret Hart getting so pissed off. And I remember he would do that to Hogan and, and everybody back then. So I just, again, I love this character, Brother Love. Um, as much as I dislike Bruce Pritchard, the man now, just for various reasons, I will always love this character. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Well, that's a good way to uh, to end it for sure, because I, I agree with you. That was a great tactic. It's a classic ploy. I would love to have done that on many interviews uh, <laughs> over the last few years. That's for damn sure. But we'll uh, we'll cap it here and I'll pick up the list next week with the the few that we didn't touch on yet. Those were some stellar choices. If we didn't bring up Charlie Mint on this show, I was going to feel greatly disappointed. So I'm glad we hit on uh, some of the high spots. And, uh, you know, I'm thrilled that you got a chance to come on and you know, do a show with me uh, directly under my banner. Um, but tell the uh, the listeners where they can find everything under your banner. Uh, you can find the Mike Durban show. I actually have a show dropping tomorrow, which it's so weird now. I, you know, it's so rare that I drop shows. It's once a month. I have to do one a month uh, because of the sponsorship right. sponsorship that Joe Feeney got me. So, uh, you know, most of my time is consumed by Get My Go, which is your favorite show, and a lot yeah, of people's that's favorite. Top of the list, <laughs> yeah. So, Get My Go comes out once a week, and you can catch the new audio version of the podcast. It's on the majority of uh, the major podcast platforms. You can follow us at Get My Go Show on Twitter and YouTube.com slash Get My Go. Um, and yeah, you can follow me at Mike Durband on Twitter, D U R B A N D. And my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Mike Durband doing God's work with yes. get my go. I've it's not easy. Time. And I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that everyone appreciates like whenever I put an episode out, there's always like five or 10 people tweeting me or DMing me and, and just saying, dude, I, I know it couldn't have been easy for you to sit there and, and listen to the entire thing and, and clip it. And then listen to it how many more times so i'm glad everybody appreciates it it's very hard to do it's a very hard show to put together so i'm glad that you and everybody else loves it yes i did get a kick out of the last episode that i uh, humbly was part of uh, to hear the finished product of part one you know knowing the stuff that we also said that was not made into the uh, you know to the finished product so i give you kudos it's always uh, it's not easy to put shows together especially those that entertain, but I'll tell you something, and this is legit. This is exact. If I could do the kind of show that you do where it's not just a wrestling based show and do it once a month. Yeah. Sign me up all day long. I, I would so much rather be doing. I love doing this. Yeah. I love doing triple threat. I love doing eyes up here, but your style of show, I'll tell you exactly. That's exactly what I would love to do in the once a month format. Trust me for your own sake is, is good for the burnouts. So I, uh, I implore you for, uh, for the one show a month. <laughs> yeah. So my show that drops tomorrow, it's um, I have the singer of my first band from 2000. Oh, so nice. that was pretty cool. Yeah. So we, we told a lot of stories of, um, you know, when I was, when we were young coming up in the Chicago music scene. So that was pretty cool to do. And yeah, I'm just today. I got a message back from Charlie Chaplin's grandson. Nice. Yes. Now it's weird because Charlie Chaplin was born in 80. He was born in 1889, mm -hmm. but his grandson is younger than me. Okay, that's that's a little interesting. Yeah, it's Different. because Charlie Chaplin was very virile and he was uh, <laughs> procreating well into his late sixties. So okay, yeah. So um, I'm just I'm a huge Chaplin mark. So if I can get this guy on my show, he lives in Switzerland. So oh boy, yeah, it's going to be a challenge with the time change. But yeah, my show I can have a variety of people. I'll have porn stars, 
uh, actors, musicians, a lot of wrestlers, of course, because they're so easy to get to in this podcast <laughs> world. It's like it's very easy to get a wrestler on your show, but it's like I can't get like a musician of that same level right. on the show. Like I can't have Slash on my show, but you know I can have Conan. You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the thing with the wrestlers on the shows, uh, I have a feeling as more shows pop up, stuff like that may get harder uh, down the road. And I've yeah. I've said that also on Get My Go. So if you want to hear the rest of my comments on that kind of stuff, go to Mike's YouTube channel, check out the old episodes, download it on your local podcasting app, whatever you uh, get your shows from. Check and see it's on there. It's got my full 100% endorsement. And I'm not just saying that because I've been on like six episodes. I, uh, I wasn't on the first like 25, so yeah. I, I had to catch up. <laughs> Yeah, we, we love having you on, and um, your laugh is so great that I've clipped it. I now have – I have nine John Wanglin – I don't want to say his name, but I have nine Johnny podcasting laughs in my arsenal that I drop in, and now I have two Chad laughs. So uh, I like to, to shake it up. I have a couple Rad Rob ones. Uh, yeah. And I have a, a good selection of Brother Martin stutters that I will drop in every now and then, too. <laughs> So yeah, you, uh, even, if you're not, even if you're not on the show, Chad, from now on, your laugh will be in at least once or twice every episode. Hey, as Ric Flair said, with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment of my life. All right. Well, we're going to say goodbye for this week on New Generation Declassified. If you want to follow me on Twitter and the old Instagram, it's chat, at Chad E&B. If you want to follow more with the TMPT Empire, it's TMPTEmpire.com. There you'll get all the links to the podcast under the TMPT umbrella, as well as catching me on the Vince Russo Russo brand as part of the Triple Threat podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas and my tag team partner, Mr. JP, John Paz. And then, of course, eyes up here with the Queen of Extreme, Francine, on Patreon, four episodes a week on there, and then simulcast at the end of the week on the Creative Control Podcast Network and for my collectibles website. It's ibexclusives.com. That's all I have got for you today, Mike. I appreciate it again. And for uh, my man, Mike Durbin, this is the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.